We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. episode number 35 of lion legacy and ross my fault last time i forgot to ask you from our pre-thanksgiving episode yeah you mentioned about baking pies and this has become your specialty over the years yes thanksgiving pie that's right and you were saying it was either going to be blueberry or i think cherry was that so you know what i did i did a little mashup and i did both Wait, it was it, a blueberry cherry pie? That's right. Is that good? Yeah. See, I like mixing things. Like, I, I, I will I'll eat cereal on occasion on the weekend, and I'm like, oh, I'll have a bowl of cereal. And so I have to mix the cereal because it's like, you know, you got to go with complementary flavors. And it felt like blueberry and cherry with like, yeah, let's see how it goes together. And so I gave it a shot, and it the, the reviews from the family were all positive, and I liked it. So... Thought it was good. And I'm not going to do it next year. I'm going to switch it up and do something else. But for this time, I couldn't decide. So I did both of them. But was it like half blueberry and half cherry or was it like truly mashed up? No, it was half and half. It was like, so I took the, the blueberries and I took the cherries and I put it all together. Oh, so the filling okay. was all mixed in. It was all. Mixed oh, okay. In. I didn't know yeah. if it was like half of the pie was. Blueberry no, 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 no. Cherry. It wasn't a half like that. It was like a it was all like comboed together. All right. I yeah. got to try one of these pies one of these years. Yeah, you know, we had, we just we went way heavy on the pies. You know, it's like my, my mother-in-law ended up making a pie and my sister-in-law had pie. It was just a, it was a lot of pie. It was fine because we ate a little bit and then I was eating pie like the next seven days thereafter. I right, love me some pie. Yeah, that was good. Thanks for asking for those that, that, that you know, were, were on the edge of their seat for a month. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the the synopsis on on the pie it turned out well thanks for asking they, they they couldn't wait that's right well that's great i can't believe this so this is number 35 and we yeah. started this back in january this is the the last podcast of the year when i look back on 35 episodes it's it's hard to believe that we had 35 amazing guests come on that's right share their story i think it it blew my expectations out of the the water, so to speak. And when I think back to the the idea when we first spoke about it, it's just a it's just a humbling experience, right? To hear everyone's stories. I think we both learned a lot about yeah. different industries and we learned about everyone's journeys. And really I think one thing that they have in common or many things they have in common in terms of the impact is they also love Penn State and they're really grateful and appreciative for their experience, not only education, but the overall experience and community of, of Penn State. For sure. We covered a ton of ground. And I think we can say that we were successful in one of the goals that we set out for ourselves in in speaking with just a wide variety of people. The people with backgrounds that, that were more linear and some that zigged and zagged to get to where they are, but they all had a great story. And they all attribute at least a portion of their success to their time at Penn State. It's just fun to hear. It's fun for us to learn about all of these folks and, and hear where they came from, where they're going. And it's just really cool. Just people doing great stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to see where we take this in 2022. And I know that we'll continue to have some amazing guests because there's a lot more amazing Penn Staters out there. But also want to thank you, Ross. It's been a fun journey for me. And 
I've been enjoying doing this together with you. Yeah, uh, like absolutely. It's a good time. Yeah, it is. It's been a blast. You know, sure. and I get to see your face every, you know, <laughs> what every however often we record. So it's all it's all good. Yes, I love it. That's great. And speaking of thank yous, we want to, we have a couple, a few people we want to thank. One is, we want to thank Julia McGinty, who happened to be our intern over the summer, who was part of the podcasting class at Penn State that Jared referred to in a, uh, I guess it was last week's intro. And so Julia was the one who we give credit to finding this week's guest, who was another, was part of another group that we'd like to thank. His name is Dave Wurzel. He is a first responder. He's a firefighter. And his company, The First 20, sets out to improve the physical and mental well-being of first responders. And these are people that at the end of the year and all year through, we should be thanking. Dave has a really cool story. He's just what an energetic guy. He, we had a lot of fun telling all kinds of crazy stories about how he got into being a firefighter. I don't want to give it away, as I always say, but he kind of, you know, took an experience early in his career as being a firefighter, and he had a, a couple of other jobs along the way, and then ultimately found his way to the first 20. He tells us what it's about, what their mission is, some of the people he's helped along the way, what it's like being a firefighter, because heavens knows we have no idea what that's about. He's got a lot of really cool stories, and we know that you'll enjoy it. And with that, enjoy our conversation with Dave Wurzel. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2022. All right, let's welcome Dave Wurzel, a 1989 graduate from dear old state with a business degree. Dave is the executive director and founder of The First 20, an organization that is helping firefighters, police departments, and other first responders with access to mental and physical health services. He's doing some amazing work, and we are excited to dive into this very important conversation. Thanks for joining us on Lion Legacy, Dave. Yeah, Jared and Ross, thanks for having me. Hey, Dave, a true honor to have you here on the podcast. We're going to start out with some facts. We learned that the American firefighter is five times more likely to have PTSD than the general population, twice as likely to commit suicide, and is an inordinate risk of heart attack. The first 20 was founded in 2008 to help firefighters manage the, these uncommon challenges. So tell us a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish and how the idea came about. It was one of those, like I was in my early forties and I went online to get in better shape. My fire service career started was my mid twenties. I couldn't be in my mid twenties. I mean, I still showed pictures of myself when I was in my mid twenties. Hey, remember this guy, but like everybody else, you just, you know, you, you're putting on a couple pounds. So I remember literally going online. I remember the night I was like, well, I'm going to look for a workout. And I started clicking and clicking firefighter health. I started, you know, the Google search where all of a sudden you have 10,000 windows open. And like, I feel like I, I went to the bottom of the internet and what I realized was there's no program for firefighters. There was no, I remember seeing one site that told me how much weight I can lose if I play badminton. I don't know any firefighters who play badminton. And so everything was very generalized and maybe this and try this. And so there's nothing exactly. I'm a real exact, tell me exactly what to do. So I was like, wow, this isn't right. So I was like, you know what? It's just start a workout for firefighters. And for me, I was just in my mid twenties, I was like saying this this wayward Jewish kid who lost his way in Philadelphia. And I found myself in the fire service. That's where I like, literally I went out West and we could talk about it later where I inserted in as a wildland firefighter, total happenstance, I got the job. And so it was one of those places where those stories you hear where you found yourself. And 
I found my people. I found my tribe. And like I'm an original tribesman as a Jew. And so I found my tribe. I found folks who were like supportive and all about helping me and being part of a team. And I just loved it. These almost a couple decades later, two decades later, and for everything I got out of the fire service, I felt it was like my obligation to give back. I couldn't read about the facts that you were just talking about, Ross, and just step over and close the internet, or close my laptop and say, somebody else can handle it. It's not my job. So I was like, eh, you know what? Maybe we should start like do a workout. And I remember going down to my fire station the next day. I talked to one of the firefighters. He was a real fitness guy, this kid, Jeff Quinn. I was like, yeah, you know, we should do this thing. I'm going to do, do a workout. And I was reading like it, like how the first 20 minutes, like for when we get a call for dispatch, you get a 20 minute mark. Because usually that's when buildings start to reach structural failure. So it's a really important time. The first 20 minutes is really chaotic. So I was like, I'll call the workout like the first 20. He's like, dude, that's super cool. And literally that's how it started and just snowballing from there. And then it was like, you should talk to this guy. And I found articles and people and I started making phone calls. And, hey, you want to help? You want to help? And that was really the gift of the first 20 was I think right now we're really living in a really interesting time of a really segmented America. You're either on this side or that. You're with the mass or you're against the mass. You're with the shot or you're against the shot. You're either this party or you're either with America or you're against America, no matter which side you're on. That's that, that's what people think. So it was really interesting to start at a spot and watch people like where everyone could come together. And we Believe me, I had folks that were on our board. I'm a his, history buff and I love Abraham Lincoln's book, Team of Rivals, and how he created his cabinet around people who didn't agree with him, like literally his rivals. So I created my board that way. And because I just really, because the main thing is they had to care about firefighters. And that's where we started. So that was the, like the inflection point of where we started everything and started putting this together. And the idea was, well, that works for these guys, but doesn't work for those guys. So the fire service is really interesting, you know, from the, there's wildland firefighting, which I did. And then there's structure firefighting, which is completely opposite. The only thing that's the same is there's a fire. One's contained in a structure. One's out in the woods. It could be thousands of acres. And when I was working the fire service, the forest service or Nevada division of forestry, we had a, what's called a three-week roll. We could be out for three weeks fighting this fire. Now they realize in that last week is when all the actions happened, they cut it down to two. But on the structure side, you're in this 20-minute window and you're, in, you're encased. How do we solve the problem that all these folks are having? So our whole thing was really about foundational elements. And our mandate was, if it didn't work for every firefighter, it didn't work for any firefighter. We couldn't do it. We couldn't just serve a small population, which is what you were seeing was some of the programs I found were out there and it was very proprietary. And this is what we do in New York, or this is what we do in San Diego. What, what about the guy who's in like Missouri? And now, and 75% of the fire service or 70% of the fire services volunteer. So I ended my career as a volunteer firefighter. So we're right on the western edge of Philadelphia. I'm in Narbor. Philly's is a hop, skip, and a jump away. And we get all the training. So all the folks, a lot of the guys in my department went on to be firefighters in Baltimore and Philly and, and um, Allentown and other paid departments. As you push further west into rural areas, it, the training might not be there. But anyway, my point is, how do we work with somebody who's at their hobby is to be a firefighter, but they have to perform to the same level? Like when I, people are like, oh, you're a volunteer firefighter. I'm like, yeah, the fires only burn half as high. 
It's like my joke, right? <laughs> like I don't know what I don't know what they mean when they would say oh, you're just a volunteer. Like I yeah, I know, but what does that mean? Right. Firefighter's you know? a firefighter, yeah. What it means is I gotta put down my stop my dinner, stop my work, leave my job to go help somebody else. That's what it really means. It's a holistic program that works with the health, safety, and performance. So it's very overarching, and we're really trying to 360 that person and help them in, in every way we can, mentally and physically. When you started, because you, you first spoke about the, the physical elements, like where were you creating some of the activities and the, the endurance and the strength training from? Interestingly enough, the Air Force had the, the, the Bible where I was really going from was the Air Force. I, re I read a review of the top programs out there. And the Air Force was far and away considered the best because they were physical fitness, nutrition, they had mental fitness elements, and, and spiritual elements, which is really interesting. So one of my friends from Penn State, Steve Potter, who played soccer at Penn State, his father, Dick Potter, is a retired brigadier general, his original Delta Forces, literally the guys at the, the inception point of special forces in the military. And... So I said, hey, General Potter, I was like, do you know anybody who's uh, at the Air Force who, because you know, they have a really great program. I'd love to find out more about it. He said, yeah. He said, one of my good friends is uh, Norty Schwartz. Sounds like my eight-year-old Jewish grandfather. Like, who's Norty Schwartz? <laughs> He's the chief of staff of the Air Force. I was like, holy smokes. So I said, can I talk to him? He said, well, you know, let me make some calls. And about uh, a couple weeks later, he said, you can call him. So literally, I'm calling a guy in the Pentagon. And this is when I was, I remember in my house, I'm in my basement. And literally, my office was like next to my washer and dryer, like the home office. Now I'm in my, I've upgraded. I redid my garage. It's, now it's, now looks it's like a man cave. It's, it's a complete man cave. Um, and, but I'm sitting there and out of them on the call, the first time I'm being debriefed because the, 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 the secretary comes on, uh, this man suggests you were like, He's going, you're only going to have X amount of time and you have to be exact. I'm like, oh my God. And as I'm talking, my cat takes a big crap right in the kitty litter box. He's right next to me. I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> this is awful. So I'm on the phone with the Pentagon, the freaking Pentagon, the chief of staff with the Air Force. And my cat is taking a crap right next to me. This whole thing's hilarious. <laughs> the guy gets on. He's like, let me tell you about it. So I have all my notes ready. And he spends 10 minutes, 13 minutes. I'm, I'm looking at the clock, telling me about how special the guy was who referred me to him. It was literally his mentor. And the last minute he's like, well, what, what do you need? I'm like, well, the, the Air Force is fitting program. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna put you back on it, whatever the guy's name was, with John and, and he'll get you sorted out. And literally, they put, that was it. Like he didn't even really even ask me. So I got plugged into the Air Force um, and I had the phone number and they, they fired the synapse. And when this guy tells you to help this guy, right? It's, that stuff is a very top down. Sure. You help. So I got put on to this guy, Jim Podolsky, who was the then assistant chief of the Air Force. And lo and behold, Jim was in it was in the process of creating the new version of the Air Force's program. So I met this guy just at the right moment because now he started getting me involved. And I was talking to my guy. Don't give him a program. Like, give him a practice. Like my wife does yoga. She's never like, oh, like when's it begin or middle and end? It's, it's a yoga practice. You do it all the time. You sure. Think about it. Yeah. Oh, I want to do yoga. I'm like, hmm, maybe that should be like our fitness and wellness. I think we're doing it wrong. Because they always think about building the better mousetrap. Like people like to work out. I'm like, you know, knock, knock. Nobody likes to work out. Even the people who work out don't really like to work out. They just do it because they have to. 
for the majority of people, you get the you get the total crazies who love to work out. God bless your soul. Ninety nine percent of folks do not like to work out. They do because they have to. They feel they have to. But what if we created something where somebody wanted to go and you put some images around them? Hey, these guys are about me. And it was more about getting people to hang around because you want them on this thing for the rest of their life. After they do the fire service, even, because that's when all the problems happen. So I started talking to this guy who was doing the Air Force stuff. And he was like, well, that's really interesting. I was like, yeah, you don't need this. You could use that. So I started spending more and more time with this guy. He would bring me on trips. And we would talk because he would pay me to come down to do some other work where he needed some extra hands. And so eventually he's like, I'll tell you what, why don't you create our program? I was like, are you serious? Yeah, I was a subject matter expert. And I created the program that was for the Air Force was the largest fire department in DOD. And so it was really retooling and pulling in certain information, how we were presenting the information. And I got hired to deploy the programming worldwide. Excellent. Yeah. But the end of the story is right at the end, we're crossing the finish line, get the program done, all this stuff happens. And guess what happens? I'm on the phone one time with somebody. I'm on the I'm on like a, this kind of call. And my phone just starts blowing up. I'm like, is, is it on another 9-11? I'm like, everybody in there, like I'm looking for the, the names keep popping across my computer screen. So my computer side of my phone. I look down, this guy ends up getting arrested for embezzling money. <laughs> and guess who who's embezzling money from? The first 20. We are one of the named plaintiffs in the case. Like, so basically, he was doing fundraising and keeping some of the money. I don't know. I don't know the huh. whole story. And But either way, I'll never forget him because he did us a great big service. But then the Air Force wanted nothing to do with anything we created for him because it was like, it was just a weird situation. And they said, here, you can take the program. We don't care even what you do with it. So I took, we took a lot of stuff back into the first 20, but that was my really, that was a launch point. That was where I started getting all the great information because when I was creating their program, everything had to be legally defensible. So I couldn't just pull anything out of my magic butt crack. And it is magical, Ross. But I couldn't pull anything out of it to say, hey, yeah, this sounds good. Hey, just do some push-ups. I had to be like I was in a court of law. And so anyway, that was really the jump off of everything we're doing. Wow, that's quite a story for sure. <laughs> we, we covered a lot of ground there. Well, that's for good. sure. That's a lot. Sorry, it's a, there's a story. story. Edit it wherever you want. Edit wherever you want. No, no, it's all it's all good. You know, it's interesting because you were talking about branding, and I went to your website and I was super impressed by it. You know, you talk about getting people sucked in, and it's really easy to see just from going to your website. But there is one word that also really stuck out to me, and that was spiritual resilience. Mm. And big bold letters when you visit your website, but it's not a phrase that I often hear. Can you kind of explain to us what that means and means for you in the first 20 as well? Sure. You don't hear it because we made it up. <laughs> so one of us is like, we made that sucker up, but we didn't make it up. We just put the words together. The whole mandate over the course of our programming and really like almost 15 years we've been doing this stuff is don't give a firefighter 10 things to do. If you, if you give them seven, don't give them seven, you give them five, don't give them five, you give them three. We're always looking for some things were foundational. And I was like, is there this one foundational element that they really need that's going to be this big capacity to help them make change across the board? And lo and behold, there is. And that's what this thing is called spiritual resilience. So it's a, it's a specific type of resilience. We went through two clinical trials of our programming. One was a FEMA-funded clinical trial nationwide, thousands of firefighters. We did one in through the NIH. 
up in New York. I was a health coach. So I really wanted to get in and say, hey, what's going on with these firefighters? Three nights a week from 6.30 to 9.30 at night in half hour increments, I was health coaching firefighters coast to coast. And it was eye-opening. And to see where folks were struggling, their inability to push through change and that place that became the, the spot they couldn't push through became the black hole that sucked the rest of their life into. That was their defining moment. That was really interesting. And people were accomplished. People were doing things in their life. Ah, oh, I suck. And hear the negative talk. I was like, wow, we're, we're really bereft of this capacity, I think, this resilience. And especially I found so in younger folks. Again, I'm 55. I would say folks who are like 18 to 35. I feel like I'm my dad all of a sudden. But the idea is a very specific kind of resilience. So remember when I was doing the, with the Air Force, everything had to be legally defensible. They wanted me to put on a spirituality module. Okay, let me check into this. So when I say spirituality, what's the first thing you think of? Think of religion. Religion, right, religion. But guess what? I'm like, interesting. I started finding all these documents. The Army did has extensive research in spirituality. And, and they take you there, but and they have this, this capacity. is really powerful. But when you start digging into it, like spirit is uh, the word Latin means uh, to breathe life into. It just means something that's animating. So we look at spirituality as an animating force that drives you to meaning and purpose. Super, super fascinating stuff. My mind was blown. I was like, wait a minute. Maybe our way we drive to meaning and purpose is to connect in community. Hmm. I started thinking about all the positive connections I have in the fire service, how that started to drive me. Every place I started to see, what happened in the first 20? Huh, that's where I succeeded. What happens when I connect with other people? Huh, and also if you feel like you have a conversation with somebody and you feel like you cured cancer and nothing happened other than you drank two beers, you have a hangover the next day, but you feel like, man, that was awesome. There was something in that thing. Let's bottle it up. We create a process in spirituality. The spirit's an animating force. It's powered in community or team, if, if community rubs you the wrong way, it's powered in community. And where do you feel that, where's that community powered? At home, at work, I'm a neighborhood. I got to power everywhere I go. Firefighters spend more time off the job than they spend on the job. So we get very myopic and say, oh, we're going to give them a workout to help them perform here. It's like a, it's like they're pro athlete. Like they're great when they hit that golf ball, but they suck everywhere else in their life. We need to worry about everywhere else in their life just as importantly as there. So like you can have toxic, people live in these toxic neighborhoods. So anyway, we want to power a community anywhere we go. We have a formalized process that powers community. And it's so spirits animating force, it's powered in community and it's fueled through character. So we look at these breakout values of character, duty, integrity, and respect, and actually courage, duty, integrity, respect, and courage. So the more we have you make these active in our programming, the more it powers your spirituality. And now we want to take that spirituality, right? Now I want to take that resilience and how do I uh, achieve success in the gym, in the kitchen? So everywhere else I need resilience. Now we're going to start taking it on the road and, and we'll talk about it later. We work what we call these time critical athletes. So now we expand beyond firefighters and we work with, military we work with police so time critical and people have to move time critical don't you have to move time critical ross was just moving time critical putting his kids to bed 
Maybe there wasn't lives hanging in the balance. I'm sure your wife is now moving time critical. But firefighters and first responders do it. There's lives that hang in the balance, but I think we all do it. Sure. So now we want to help you move time critical. So that gets into what you eat, gets into how you sleep, gets into some of the movement stuff. So that's how the program kind of progresses out. But it starts with this one capacity and we take it everywhere. You mentioned a moment ago the organizations that you work with, right? Firefighters, police, military, and sort of others. Give us a flavor. When those organizations sign on with the first 20, what are some of the like specific programs that you laid it out for us? But more of the what are the courses, what are the certifications, what are they getting? Well, over the course of 50 years, they got lots of different things. We gave them, again, we gave them coursework in fitness, coursework in nutrition, coursework in mental performance. So even in our program, we use some ideas that were used by special forces, high performance techniques to reduce stress and, and increase performance, goal setting, goal segmentation, visualization, positive self-talk and breathing. All right. How do I use these things? We programmatize it so you can start making these things actionable. And then as we moved along, like we're in version like 10.0 of our programming, which people hate me for in my organization. I'm like, no, we can do it better. No, we don't want to do it. Got to do it again. I'm like, got to do it again. It's not over there. So anybody who's with our programming, they're legacy members. They can always access our new programming. And we got this big grant from Homeland Security and then COVID happened. So lo and behold, we couldn't be live. We couldn't, you know, everything became this. So now we give everything away virtually. So you can sign up for one of our onboarding sessions and we email you everything you got to do. And then you get Zoom. We have like monthly Zoom sessions, Q&A sessions. Now that we're about to load all of our new challenges in there that we're going to, all our time critical stuff. So now we're going to put our fitness stuff in there and our nutrition stuff and have that be virtual as well. So that's where the program is going to be. The city of Baltimore Police and Fire got an app. Some other Air Force got email. You know, everybody's got a website. Everybody's gotten different iterations of the programming along the way. I think we're settled into like how it's going to be delivered. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be embroiling this for another five years at least. COVID's on, COVID's off. Now we're not in Omicron. We're go down the alphabet. There's more coming until everyone gets vaccinated. There's going to be all these things that are coming up. So we're going to be in this quasi-virtual setting for a minute. We got to find out how to make it better, but that's how we're going to be delivering our programming. That's fantastic. I want to touch on a little bit about your past life as being a firefighter. And we have a great partnership with the Daily Collegian. Every episode, students submit questions for our guests. And this week, Maya Falcone, a freshman studying psychology, wants to know, what actually inspired you to become a firefighter? It's funny. I want to say, I want to see, I want to give you something grandiose, but I don't have. Give us the truth. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, the truth. It's, it's my life's based on the true story. When I graduated from Penn State, I wanted to go into business with my dad because I didn't know what I wanted to do. He was a financial planner. <sighs> oh, anyway, so <laughs> I did this thing. And of course, I got chewed up and spit out. And I didn't know what I wanted. And I was engaged with a, a woman who broke up with me. So I didn't know what to do. So I, what do you want to do? So I drew, I decided I wanted to buy this old Bronco in Oregon. I started driving across country. It flew out. I'm, I'm going to drive across the country. Isn't that how you're supposed to find yourself? And I pulled into Vegas. My cousins were living in Vegas. My one cousin had a tree service. And he was like, yeah, I'm out with one of my friends, this guy, Bill Fernandez, who worked with Nevada Division of Forestry. He brought Bill in to help cut down a tree. 
So why don't you come out? We're, well, I was coming into Vegas. There was no coincidence. There's only Providence. We went to the Sitting Bull Lounge in Northern <laughs> Vegas, which is just a hole in the wall bar. And I start talking to this guy. It's one of those things, like great bond experience. We start telling stories. We're laughing it up. Like, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, we're going to hire a seasonal firefighter. Do you ever think of, like, I don't know. I don't know anything about firefighting. We'll give you all the training. Come on board. And I did it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. That's how I became a firefighter. And I went back home. And I was, yeah, it doesn't start until this May. So this is like in September or something. So I went back home. I was like, I'm not sitting around here until the May in Philadelphia. I got myself. I went back out to Vegas. I was living with my cousins. And that's where I got that job at the Gold's Gym. But anyway, that was my entree point. That was my entree point into being a firefighter. And like I said, I really found myself. But then really as I progressed out and I left, I went to Australia and I came back here. So I took a hiatus in the middle. I went to reinsert, but I went down and I was now living outside the city and I inserted as a volunteer firefighter. Mia Falcone, is that her name? Maya, I think. Or I don't know. Maya. Did I say Mia? Maya? Sorry. <laughs> but we that. love the Daily Collegian either way. We still love the Daily Collegian. Exactly. And Miss Falcone, the answer really is as I got a little older and I really a little more thoughtful about it, like I really like being a volunteer firefighter. You know, I think it's a service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. I think it's a quote, Muhammad, I think it's a quote by Muhammad Ali. I really love that quote, but just the, the spirit of it. And I think volunteer firefighters, that's a spirit of like spirit of America. Like how would I give myself and I don't want anything back. That's what I think drove me ultimately be, be a volunteer firefighter for the last decade. I love it. That's, that is a great story. It may not have been part of your yeah. plan, but obviously it worked out really well. We're sitting here today. We have no clue what it's truly like to battle a blaze and would love to know what is that feeling like? We have a hard time just imagining it from a physical perspective, but then on top of that, there's just this mental aspect that's probably very often overlooked. It's hard. First of all, you're wearing a hundred pounds of gear, which you don't really realize boots, coat, air pack. And so what ends up happening is not only wearing a hundred pounds of gear, but it mitigates my ability to perform. So you're, it's not, you're just breathing air. It's pressurized air. You're pulling air out of a bottle. So it mitigates your aerobic capacity by 20%. The gear itself drops. So if I can run as fast as I could on a treadmill, and then I got back on it, put it on the gear, did it again. It lowers that by 60%. <laughs> wow. So that's your work capacity. It lowers my work capacity by 60%. So you start like lowering the threshold. And then what happens with the gear, you're sealing heat in. I love when guys are like, hey, look, I got this sweat wicking shirt. I'm like, where are you wicking the sweat to? It's not going anywhere. You're sealed in. You gotta, this, this is a huge problem for firefighters. So what happens is when your body reaches ambient temperatures of like 100 degrees, just 100 degrees, half your skin goes to cool, half your blood goes to cool off your skin. You live, your heart has to work harder. Your blood pressure goes up. And then you have a, you have let, literally less blood in your brain. You can't see as well. You have 20% drop in vision, mental acuity, everything starts to slow down. When a fire happens afterwards, you're always like, why did I do that? Oh, yeah, sure. Then there's cortisol. Cause you get stressed out. You can't see, it's not like in the movies where you're like talking to somebody. The smoke is banked in the floor. More, more often than not, you don't know where the fire is. And you're feeling your way around a stranger's home. 
and you're lugging a hose that weighs a hundred, that's charged hose line, weigh a couple hundred pounds. So I did, we did this study as a 200 pound man. If I had four other firefighters on the hose line, equally spread out. So we're always moving the same amount, which never happens. And we went straight because you don't do straight. You go around turns. And every time you turn, everything everything becomes exponential. I'm not even going to do that to you. There's a 200 pound man on a hose line with, with three other firefighters for a hundred foot inch of attack line. I'm moving 400 pounds for a fire. <laughs> it's a lot of weight. You got to be in good shape. And then you're stressed and the stress becomes problematic, really problematic for people. So, you know, when I talk about the job, somebody once, I heard some old timers like, you're in the bad day business, buddy. I'm like, oh, I like that, the bad day business. <laughs> Remember Curly from, uh, what was Rang? What was the one with Billy Crystal? Find your one thing and everything else don't mean crap. Remember that? It's the same kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're in the bad day business. Who really thought about that? So I like I'm always reticent to regale people of stories because I'm like, man, that's like somebody else's house that burned. Mm. I have horrific stories that, that mm-hmm. I won't tell you, but there's some funny ones, and usually the funny ones are the guys. We're me, my friend. We were on a fire all night, and then we came out and we were in front. It was in the middle of winter, and our gear froze. I had to pee. I couldn't open my. It was frozen shut. So my guy has, we're joking, guys, a crowbar. And we're like, I couldn't get my gear off. I had like ice all in my gear. I just peed in my boots. And we're all looking at each other. We're all staring. I just peed. He's like, I just peed too. And my chief comes up. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, oh, we're all peeing in our boots. Yeah, because we couldn't get our gear off. And I was in some crazy situations, you know, where things went south. I had to dive out windows and crazy stuff and bad stuff. From the work that you've done with the first responders, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of uh, excellent feedback. Is there a story there for maybe somebody's life that you've really helped or maybe somebody that let them know how the, the programs from first 20 put them in, set them in the right direction or really made a difference for the work they were doing? Yeah, I went down to Baltimore. So I was working with Baltimore police. So you guys are super gracious and super nice. And it, I'm not used to that. Like I remember going into police departments because their chief of like, this guy's going to come in, he's going to program. Everybody's got to talk to him. He says, what the hell is going on here? Who is this guy? You're a firefighter from Philadelphia? And you're, I'm in Baltimore, and it was great. Any fans of The Wire? Anybody watch The I'm, Wire? I, it's on my list. I got to sit down and, and... Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It's one of the one of those top shows that I haven't seen, but I need to see. I'm going to end this. I'm ending this podcast right now. But seriously, <laughs> so it was an unbelievable show. So I was in, like, centered all around Boston. There is Baltimore, so I'm in this Western. Anyway, like... I remember one time before I went to talk somewhere, one of my friends was like, listen, there's plenty of guys who teach us how to kick in a door or throw a ladder. They need to hear what you're talking about. Always remember that. So I started talking and I, I so it was a, a, during a roll call, the beginning of a shift for a bunch of cops. These guys are driving me around to each roll call. These guys were so pissed. And I remember, and I would give, we give away these challenge coins that they keep with them. And I'm like, hey, the coins, everybody's like, I don't want your coin. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm Breathe in, breathe out, just running my shtick. Here's what's going on. Here's what you're here for. Here's why we're here. Bum, 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 bum. I did my whole talk, and these guys were like, I was like, I'm like, I'm not even sure if I'm gonna make it out of this place alive. These guys look like they're gonna beat the crap out of me. <laughs> I turn around, pack up my stuff, and I feel this tap on the shoulder. And this guy's looking at me, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, Thank you. I needed to hear what you said today of all days. I was really having a bad day. Now, I don't know what what his bad days compared to our bad days. And that always stuck with me. And when I, when I started emailing back and forth with him, 
And he was really having a bad time. He was really stuck in a really dark place. It's like this one person at this one time meant the world to me to know that like, I could reach out and deliver a piece of information and help another human being who is really struggling. So that was probably the, of all the stories I had people who lost weight, who do this, and, oh, it was great. But the one like with the tears coming down, like I needed to hear that today. And then making sure I was reaching out and made a personal connection with him and moved him into the program. He's still in the process today, but it was really, you know, we're all in those dark moments. And that's what I talk about. You lift your lamp and but you can see other folks who are stuck. You can help other folks or you never know who's stuck and who needs some help. So that was probably the one down in Baltimore and really outside my comfort zone. And the, Hey, I'm, nah, maybe I'm not going to do it. Maybe I'm not going to show up. But again, you never know was that one time you can be there for somebody else. And that was it. Phenomenal. And so what do you give There's somebody out there that's a teenager, maybe they're in college and they're thinking about becoming a first responder of some sort, whether it be as a career or volunteer basis, what do you, what kind of advice do you give to them? Do it a hundred percent. Like, absolutely go all out, but give it a hundred percent. That's what I want to say. Everything in life, like yeah, nothing works. I don't care what you're doing unless you give it a hundred percent. Like, you know, Broadway, Danny Rose, you can't ride two horses, one ass. My, my favorite line in the movie, but uh, make sure you just show up ready to, 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 to work. Make sure you're in good physical shape and there's, there's a resource out there for you to do it. We need first responders. The, the community is being burnt out right now, especially post COVID. And like, you know, in this austere environment, believe it or not, like, these jobs are cut. You know, people like they're asked to do more with less. The fire service, like everything else, needs people who want to give and go do it. And you'll find the best brotherhood and sisterhood you ever, you ever knew existed. I think I could probably speak for everyone. We have a very, very deep appreciation for the men and women who put their lives on the line each and every day. Before we transition to your time at, at Penn State, what are one or two things you want us everyday citizens like myself and Ross to take away from this conversation? Well, I think for everybody, look, like, I think I looked at the rates of anxiety in our country went from whatever it was post COVID to one in three Americans are now stressed out. They're experiencing clinical anxiety. Uh, that's unbelievable. That is really unbelievable. So I think everyone has it bad. Some people have it real bad. And those would be the first responders. These are men and women who, who are trained not to ask for anything. They don't need your help and they do. They desperately need your help. It's not, hey, I feel like I'm like saying about talking about some starving kid in Africa, but just let people know they're supported and like letters you can give them. It's not even the money. Hey man, isn't this cool? Somebody bake us a pie. Hey, thank you. Drive by your fire station every day and just say, hey, I just want to say thank you. It just it, like people think I, I need to give a hundred dollars. I have to go just a little, littlest things you can think of and, and make it a habit, make it a habit of just doing something nice for first responders in your area. Once a week, once a month, let them know they're supported. Sociologists call those things weak ties. People who aren't your family, or your inner circle, but it's the person in the grocery store who just says, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm doing pretty good. You don't talk about anything but nothing. You know what I mean? But that's important. So I would think that not only if you could take that random act of kindness and think about your putting it in your calendar every day, pick out your phone and find some time, maybe do it like, the fire, firefighters are only going to be as healthy as their communities. Their law enforcement is only going to be as healthy as their communities. Facts. So what are you doing to make your community more healthy? What are you doing to make your community more safe? So when I go into a 
I don't know if this is one thing, but I'm just saying that the overarching thing is, is like, it sounds silly, but being nice to everybody. And people are like, oh yeah, yeah, probably going to, you know, Walmart, my kids, oh no. I'm like, yep. I take 10 seconds. I'm like, tell me about what's going to happen in there. Are people struggling or yeah, let's go be nice to people. My kids are like, oh no, dad, come on. I like, so I'm like old weird Dave, like, how are you doing? Can I get that for you? And people are like, what's going on with this guy? Right? <laughs> what is weird? This guy's off. But I don't mind it because it just serves everybody. You never know who you can be that rainbow in their dark sky in their cloudy day. And I think especially for firefighters, be, be deliberate there, but be deliberate everywhere. Yeah, that's great. This is the last podcast of the year. And I think that advice is great yeah. advice to end the year as well as start 2022. So absolutely. Yeah. Great, great reminder there. But let's go talk about Penn State right now. We're going to put you in the Lions Den, brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride. (laughs) (laughs) With the sound effects, I love it. Just remember, when you want to show off your Penn State Pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. Yes, indeed. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Dave, we've loved hearing about the first 20 and all of your professional endeavors that led up to it. Think back to your time at Penn State. How did your your years at Penn State help lead you into your professional life and ultimately what you're doing today? Community, community, community. Come on, guys. We We are. are. That's it. We are. And that's a great story. Like, I even love telling people the story. People have this misconception of, oh, it's a bunch of kids in central Pennsylvania just pounding alcohol. I'm like, well, that's part of it. But it's way more than that. You know, Absolutely. you look at like, you look at THON, it's the largest philanthropic, student-run philanthropic organization in the world. You mic drop, right? Come on. These are some giving human beings up there. So I took my kid up. Like with my, my dad went to Penn State. I go to tailgates with him. Oh, this is my old fraternity member, blah, blah, blah. Wait, wait, wait. Now I'm doing the same thing to my kid. I wasn't in a frat. <laughs> but what he was taken with was I went to eight different tailgates. I have all these different groups of friends from Penn State. My year's up there. And think about that. I had friends. I used to play in the Black Caucus Basketball League. I have a whole, those friends. I have friends who are from a Jewish fraternity. I have friends who are from another fraternity. I had friends who played Dungeons and Dragons. I just, I didn't play. I just wanted to hang around. So I had all kinds of cool friends up there that I'm still friendly with. It's all community, but really connected community that, you know, it's just really like you shared some time with somebody and you shared some fun, magical times in people's lives. So that's what I take back from like where they all started for me was learning to not only like really expanding my horizons, but learning how to learn and learning how to talk to other people. Like I've been talking all night. But I like to set myself on receive, not transmit. And people had some really cool stories and all the my isms and jokes. I realize all come from my friends. My kids, oh, that's, my dad always says that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. I got that from you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you did that. Oh, this is the one who does this story. And that's it. The chuckle I have today that, like, really, like, I was 18 years old when somebody told me that joke or I did that. I'm like, I have to process that. 37 years ago, somebody told me that joke that's still in my head. Is that even right? I don't even know if the math is right. I'm 55. So it. it's crazy stuff, lasting friends, but it was learning how to work in a group and then eventually figuring out how to formalize the process. So this is going to be the, the toughest question of the entire podcast. Ooh. Favorite Penn State memory? 
Five-side 500s were up there, man. I got to tell you, when we were up there, like, they would rope it off. So what happens, it was like a mile and a half race where you chug a beer at each bar. <laughs> you dress them in costumes. And so the police would rope it off. And as long as you were on your side of the tape, you could shoot hardwood in your eyeballs. <laughs> they left you alone. It was insane. So it was the biggest college party. When I was there, it was the biggest college party in the country. I remember the them, multiples. So I remember my friend, well, my, my roommate, his girlfriend came up, his girlfriend's parents came up, we couldn't find him. And we went outside and somebody, he got so drunk and they tied him up with electric, like the, the police tape and they tied him to a tree. <laughs> so his first time I met, my, my roommate met his girlfriend's parents, he was so drunk. And this is like when it just started, we started drinking in the morning. But I got to say one of my favorite moments at Penn State was that was so more more or less hey yeah everything drunk but more than my favorite moments still getting drunk we're still having beers but the kinks were playing in town so my room and i go downtown and there was a record store that was used to be right on college ave i forget the name of it where the actually they sold tickets or something so we're there we're fumbling around we got the tickets or whatever there's maybe the giveaway i, I forget what we were we were down there like it's like 10 30 in the morning we were down like right this thing opened it had something to do with the King show. So I mean, we're there, we're like looking at records. We're outside. All of a sudden, this guy's walking down the street in a trench coat. My roommate's like, holy smokes, that's Ray Davies from the Kinks. And I was like, is it? He's like, I'm like it's not Ray Davies. My roommate's like, he's got a trench coat on. We walked from Penn State with a trench Look at the guy. It's like 80, <laughs> you know. We're like, yo, Ray, what's up? He's like, oh, hey. He's like, we're going to get a pint. We're like, what? I, we're like, I think the, the den's open. I think, I didn't know, 10.30, is it open? Maybe not open. So anyway, we talked for a little bit. We ended up going down there and we ended up playing pool with this guy. For the Kinks, the dude, the leads here from the Kinks, we ended up going in the basement of the den and playing pool like the whole day. People are coming down, they're like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, hey, it's Ray Days and the Kinks. Like, you're seeing this right. And uh, we're drinking and I remember just having like, and I don't know anything about anything other than like, I listened to some Springsteen, you know, I'm not like this music aficionado. I can't be like, Hey, remember when you did that lick on this record? So the funny thing is this guy had a wooden leg. Cause I remember being like blottoed <laughs> and like, we're like, he's like, yeah, what song you want? We were telling the song when you hear. And then my roommate, I went home and that's so cold. We didn't even go to the show. Uh-huh. And he's like, this, this is for my friend, Brian and Dave. Thanks for a great day. And he, and he you know, he did Lola. So anyway, it was, it was, but filled with those kind of, like, I don't remember anyone. Like I can tell you when Doug Flutie threw from 400 yards, I can tell you it was winning the national championship in Miami when I was down in Miami. There's so many great, like just, but really it's the, each one of them is like back to like, I'm a broken record with my community, but always surrounded with people, man. It was all these people, like all my friends were jumping up and down. And what was so memorable is, Every story I've long since forgotten, my friends definitely remember. And they had these stories, they keep bringing them up again and again. And it was just, I think that's what I love the best is like just the people that you made the memories with. Phenomenal. So if you could go back and visit with yourself, Dave, 18 years old, Mm. about about to start his summer session at Penn State, right? Mm. And what advice would you give yourself at that point? Do it all again. Do it exactly how you're about to do it. <laughs> there you go. The best time of your life. I don't know. There's not much. It's funny because I, I, I don't know if I would change anything. I would spend more time at the gap. They had $5 all you can drink on Wednesdays. And I just, can you imagine that? Um, 
But it was really that first summer was, I wouldn't change anything. It was teaching yourself that when you don't get what you want, you get what you need. I don't know if that's the, the Rolling Stones song. I didn't get a roommate. But what I got was the best experience of my life by not having a roommate. It made me go out. And so maybe it would have been like, always keep pushing the envelope, keep going out and, and talking to people and meeting new people and having those new experiences. That's what I think was so incredible about Penn State. That first summer, and it just like I said, it just carried over into my next next several years there. It was just a wonderful experience. And how do you feel most connected to the university today? Like everybody else, it's it, football, but it's really the football is uh, because I go tailgate with my friends. I, I have an email chain or text chain now with like 10 of my boys on the chain that, that it's just ongoing. Like tonight, there's street texts that came in from these folks, like wishing like Christmas memes. So it's just, it's the, the people that keep me connected. The football gives us something to do and something to root for and something to, we'll get it next year. <laughs> we got a great recruiting class. Who cares if it's going on? We got a great recruiting. And it's like, you can't win them all, but it's, uh, it's like the whiteout, that stuff. Like, so it, football keeps us coming, keeps us connected. The sports keep is what keeps us connected, but I love it. I love all, everything about the Penn State, how we do it up there. Yeah, we feel the same way, and it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast and goes back to your point around community and connecting with other yeah. great Penn Staters doing great things like yourself. And, you know, I think one of the things that really stuck out to both of us throughout this conversation was making sure that we really thank you for all the work that you've done throughout your career, not only as a, a firefighter yourself, but how you're paving the way for current and, and future firefighters and first responders with all the great work that you're doing with the first 20. So thank you. Yeah. No, be no better way, I think, to end 2021 and look ahead to 2022 with, with guests like yourself. So appreciate you spending time with us. And we always end with, we are. We are, right? It could be any better way to end anything. We are. I love that. Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruder production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.